Good morning, everyone. We're so grateful that you're here. I want to welcome our Darrington, our Missouri City, and our Sugarland campuses. Together, we are Sugar Creek Baptist Church. And all of our guests all over Texas, all around Houston, around the country, and around the world, we're so grateful that you're with us today. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Last Sunday, I mentioned to you that we need to be praying every day for members in our church who have contracted the coronavirus. And you've been doing that. And I ask you also, please remember especially a senior adult man in our church. He was in ICU and on a ventilator, and he was in great need. Well, he is not on the ventilator anymore. He's not in ICU. And in fact, he has had so much renewal of health that they have sent him home. It's just amazing. And I got to tell you, I think God deserves a giant, yay God, for what he has done. I'm also needing you to fill out a survey for our church that is online. We plan to have our first services back on the Sugarland and the Missouri City campuses on Sunday, May 31st. But before we come back, we need to hear from you. What are some things that you are hoping for, that you are wanting to have happen? And we've got a list of questions for you. We're asking you to go online to sugarcreek.net forward slash open forward slash open and answer those questions for us. It'll only take you three or four minutes, but it will be a great help to us. We have a plan already, but we'll, we will tweak that plan on the basis of what we hear from you. So this is very important. Now we're in a new series in the book of James and the series is entitled Authentic Christianity. And today, James is going to be teaching us that real Christianity, real Christianity is more than just words. Listen to what he says in James chapter 2 and beginning in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can that kind of faith save him? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister without, is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Now, before we dig into this passage this morning, I want us to first stop and solve a problem. James actually creates a problem for us that we need to take a look at. And what James is actually doing is demonstrating that there are really two sides of the same coin. So what does that mean? Well, do you remember what James just said? James said in this passage, faith alone cannot save you. A person is saved by works, not just faith. And James uses in a few moments, we'll see it, the example of Abraham to back up what he just said. Well, the problem is that Paul says exactly the opposite of what James has said. Don't you remember what Paul has taught us? In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you are saved through faith, 
and that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works. James says we're saved by works. Paul says we're not saved by works at all, lest anyone should boast. And then remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 when he says, for nobody can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what the law commands, by doing the good deeds, the law. We walk through in the fall for three months, verse by verse, through the book of Galatians. And week after week after week after week, Paul said to us that we're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and not any other thing we do. What is also true is that both the book of Galatians written by Paul and the book of James written by James were the first two books in the New Testament written. And they seem to be saying exactly the opposite on this particular issue. So what is right? Have you ever been in a discussion with someone, maybe even an argument, but, but a discussion with another individual and, and the more you were talking and discussing and maybe even arguing and you kept listening to each other, you realized that you weren't as far apart as you thought, that actually you were a whole lot closer. What's been happening is you're using the same words, but you're using different definitions to those words. So when you are saying those same words and it's coming out differently, it's simply because you're not in sync with the definition of those key words. And once you realize that and you start coming together and talking a little bit more civilly maybe or a little bit more closely in understanding, you begin to realize, hey, we're not that far apart after all. When I was in high school, I was on our high school's debate team, and we debated uh, other big, big schools that were 5A schools all around. And quite honestly, being on the debate team was exhilarating for me. I absolutely loved it. When I went to college, there was no formal debate team, so some of us set up some informal debate teams, and we had debates with each other, and it was just a lot of fun. If you've ever been on a debate team, you know that it's the affirmative side that first has to define the key words. In every debate, there are certain key words, and they have to be defined so that everyone is talking those same definitions when they use the words. It's the only way you can have a reasonable debate. And the truth is, that is exactly what's happening in these two guys' passages. They have different definitions for the exact same words. They aren't actually in opposition to each other. When you really dig into what they're saying, they are actually standing back to back with each other, fighting different enemies. It is two sides of the same coin. So what do I mean by that? Well, the two words that are the key words is obviously faith and works. When Paul uses the word faith, he's talking about a heart faith. He even talks about it as a heart faith, a faith that is so deep into your heart that it changes your behavior and makes you more and more like Jesus. But when James uses the word faith, he is talking about a head faith, that you have accepted some basic truths, but they haven't changed your life. So I think we need to stop for just a second, because I need to talk to some that are listening right now, and the truth is, 
If you truly got honest with yourself, you're operating out of a head faith right now. There, there may be some children that have accepted Jesus as your Savior, and you really meant it, and it was very sincere, and you accepted Jesus in your heart, and you've been striving to live for God. But at some point in your life, maybe it was in middle school, maybe it was in high school, you basically said to Jesus, now I want you to go stand over in the corner. I want you to go in my closet. Because I want to live my own life, do my own thing, and I don't want to be bothered, Jesus, by you. Now, I love you, and I, I still believe in you, but I want to go live my own life and do my own thing. But the problem is, that is the very moment in your life that you go do some wrong things, some things that will actually become tragedies, some things that will alter your future that will damage your life. What you really need to do is go get Jesus out of the corner and out of the closet and say, you be the Lord of my life. You guide my life and direct my life, especially during these moments, my teenage years and early 20s, especially during these moments because I'm going to need your wisdom. And he'll lead you and guide you. You won't miss any part of real life. In fact, you'll have more real life with him in control than you'd ever have with him in the closet. And there are others, maybe you're adults, and maybe when you were growing up, you just did what your parents told you to do. And to get them off your back, oh yeah, you got baptized, and you said all the right words and all the right answers to the questions, but it was never real in you. And you know it. You just got head faith, and James is talking to you. You never got heart faith that really changed your life. And today you need to come to know Jesus Christ with heart faith. The second word that they use is the word works, but they mean two different things. When Paul is talking about works, he is talking about good deeds of us trying to earn our way to heaven, doing all these good things so that we can prove to God we should come into heaven because of our good deeds. And Paul says, that'll never happen. You will never have enough good needs to earn your way into heaven. This is why Jesus came. But James, when he talks about works, he talks about acts of love and kindness toward God and others that comes out of a heart that loves the Lord. See, they're talking about two different things. That's why it looks like they are not in sync with each other. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus said that by their fruits, by their actions, you shall know them. And both Paul and James would say amen to that. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will what? Say it out loud. Will surely show it. You see, if you're saved and you know it, your life will begin to change, and everybody around you will see the difference. So these two guys are not opposing each other. These two guys are back-to-back fighting different enemies. Paul is defending Christianity from people trying to earn their way to heaven. And he is saying, that's never going to happen. That's never going to be successful for you. You can't earn your way to heaven. But James is defending Christianity from people trying to fake their way to heaven. Oh, I've been baptized. I've done all the good things I'm supposed to do. And my life hasn't changed, but I've got my fire insurance. Everything is just fine. And James is saying, no, it is not. No, the truth is those people who come to truly know Jesus Christ as their Savior, their life will be transformed. 
Their life will be changed. We call it at Sugar Creek, life change in Christ. So here's my question to you. How much is your life changing? How much are you really changing on the inside out? James is teaching us that only a faith that changes our behavior is real faith. And here's what he says, James 2.14. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works, can that kind of faith save him? And the answer is obviously no. Jesus said himself in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not enough to say, oh God, save me, oh Lord, Lord. No, there has to be a change. It's got to be a heart faith. It's got to be real on the inside. And then you don't change yourself. You can't change yourself. It's Jesus who's come to live inside of you that begins to change you from the inside out. Then James gives an illustration. Here it is. James chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and be well fed, but you don't meet his physical needs, what use is that? Have you ever heard the illustration? I read an illustration recently about a guy who had lost his job. And he had now expended all of his savings and still no job and times were so hard. And now what does he do? He has no money. What does he do? And his friends all gather around him and they're saying, oh, I'm just so sorry you don't have a job. It's just so terrible. And and I'm just so, feel so bad about it. And then suddenly one of his friends opens up a checkbook and writes out a check to him for $1,000 and puts it in his his pocket. And then he turns to the other friends and said, I'm sorry, $1,000 worth. How sorry are you? That is what James is talking about. And boy, is that not applicable today. We have 30 million Americans that have lost their jobs. And though Sugar Creek can't take care of 30 million, we can take care of members of our church and those who have been coming to our church a long time. Yes, we can can help. We have limited funds. We don't have uh, unlimited resources. There's only so much we can do, but we can do something. And we are. We've already had people that have applied, and you can too. You go online and go on the, on the app, church app, and you'll see a, a story that talks about, do you have a need of prayer or of finances? You'll see it. You click onto that. That has another link that after you, hear, after you read what is on there, there's another link that you can click, and there is an application. This application and all the requirements have been put together by volunteer leaders in our church and a couple of our pastors, and now we're going to follow those regulations, but we can help you. We will help you. Uh, you got to follow the requirements that are there, but we hope you'll apply, and as soon as you apply, it goes directly to one of our ministers, and we call you, and we get it all started. But there are other people that aren't part of our church. They don't have any food. And they're in great need. And the only place they can cry out to is Second Mile Mission Center, and they are. And Second Mile doesn't have enough food in order to take care of all of them. Well, Sugar Creek Baptist Church started Second Mile. It came from us, and we we let it go away from us so that other churches could then join in and We are all together, and if there's any church that's going to support Second Mile, it's going to be Sugar Creek Baptist Church. 
And my, oh my, have you been doing it. Every single Wednesday, every single Wednesday. Is it going to be there this next Wednesday? You'll know if it's not going to be. Every single Wednesday from 10 to 12, 10 o'clock in the morning to noon. We have been on two campuses collecting food. It's been on Missouri City campus. It's been on the Sugarland campus at the Sugarland office building. But now we're on three campuses. On the Richmond Rosenberg campus, we haven't opened the campus yet, but we'll have a truck in front of that area. It is in front, it's right next to the DMV where you get your driver's license. Just go there and there'll be a truck and we'll be some of our staff there and we'll be ready to take your food. So what you do is you go and buy food. And what we'd love it if you would buy the food that Second Mile recommends. You can go on their website or go on ours and you'll see that list. Go and buy that food. They're basics. And I think you ought to throw in some cookies. That's not on the list, but I think it ought to be. So you go get that food and then you bring it and, and uh, take it out of your car and put it in that truck and get back in your car. You're so safe. But what you've done is that you have helped somebody. You've helped somebody. It is a wonderful thing that you've done. Now, here is what James is teaching us. Real faith is more than sympathy. It does something about it. That's real faith. 1 John 3 verse 17 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees that his brother is in need and he turns his eye away from him and refuses to help him, how can the love of God dwell in that person? And he is saying it doesn't. Real Christianity helps other people. I don't know whether you saw the illustration or heard this illustration before, but, but two guys were walking down a beach and, and they came to, uh, to a horror. There was in front of them just thousands, thousands, literally thousands of starfish who had been swept in by the waves and beached there on the beach. And now they were slowly but surely dying because they can't live on a beach. They got to live in the water. And immediately one of the two guys stepped down or stooped down and he, he grabbed one of the starfish and threw it in the water. The, grabbed another starfish, threw it in the water. Grabbed another starfish and threw it in the water. And the other guy said, what difference does it make? You can't take care of all these thousands of starfish. And that guy picked up another starfish and he says, it makes a lot of difference to this one. And he threw it into the water. We can't feed everybody, but we can feed somebody. And what James is saying is real faith is more than sympathy. It does something about it. Second of all, real faith is more than just right beliefs. Listen to how he puts it in James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and they tremble. It's a good thing when we know our, our theology, our doctrines. Doctrines are simply truths from the Bible. Doctrines are important. They tell us about who God is. They tell us who we are, who, how we be saved, who, the, what the world is about. Doctrines are critical in our life. It's important we know what it is we believe that comes right from the Word of God. Memorizing Scripture verses, that are, that's very important. There's everything good and nothing wrong about it. But if it doesn't change your life, If it doesn't change your life, your behavior, how you're living, what good is it? James is saying, you believe that there is one God? Well, that's great. You're, you're exactly right about that. But the demons also believe it. 
They know God. They've seen God. They know God is there and they shudder. It means they're scared to death, but they don't change. There's no change in their life. Real faith is not just believing in a set of facts about God. It's letting those facts change how we act. So, let's put this together. There is an alive faith. There is a real kind of heart faith that can get you into heaven and that can keep you growing closer and closer to God. And James lays it out for us by giving us two illustrations of two people in the Old Testament, a man named Abraham and a woman named Rahab. These two people could not be any more different than they were. Abraham's a man, Rahab's a woman. Abraham's a Jew, Rahab's a Gentile. Abraham was somebody. I mean, he was a leader. He was, people respected him, loved him, all this stuff. But Rahab must have thought of herself as a nobody. Nobody cares about me. I don't mean anything to anybody. But yet, both of them had saving faith, and both of them are in heaven. And James gives an example about both of them. Here's first Abraham, James chapter 2, verse 21. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. As you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. So what's the story? God had given Abraham all these promises that he was going to do in Abraham's life, but all these promises were going to come through his son, Isaac. Isaac was the promised child, and now God was going to do all these great promises to Abraham through Isaac. And then one day, God comes to Abraham and says, now, Abraham, I want you to offer your son Isaac on the altar. It meant kill him on the altar. What we know about Abraham is that he so believed God. He so believed God. And Abraham believed that even if Isaac was offered on the altar, that God would raise him from the dead. Because God had made these promises to him, and all these promises come through Isaac. And God is faithful. And so he said yes. And he was about to alter his son Isaac on the altar, and God stopped him and said to him, Abraham, now I see and now you see that you can be trusted, that you do believe. I don't want you to offer your son Isaac on the altar. There is another ram. He's, the thorns have been, I mean, his horns have been caught in the thicket. You offer him as a sacrifice instead. 
But I'm going to tell you, in that moment in which Abraham didn't understand what was going on, didn't understand why, but obeyed. On that moment, he demonstrated faith in God by the actions that he did. And that is what James is talking about. It's how we respond. It's, it's, it's the actions that come out of our life in trusting God in the times we don't understand. Those are what demonstrate faith in God. And then the second illustration is about Rahab. James chapter 2, verse 25 and 26. In the same way, was not even Rahab considered righteous? For what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So what's the story? Rahab lived in Jericho. And here comes Joshua and all the people of Israel, and they're going to cross over the Jordan River, and they're going to possess the promised land which meant they had to drive the other ones out. And that first city they came to was Jericho. So Joshua sent a couple of spies to Jericho, spy out the land. And when they arrived, they were just treated as, as strangers. They walked through the gates and no problem. And then, but it got around, hey, these aren't just strangers. These are spies. We got to go find them. And they knocked on Rahab's door and she let them in. And they said, we need you to hide us. And she said, I will do it. And they asked, why would you do this? And she because, said, because we have all heard the stories of how God parted the Red Sea. We've heard all the stories about every enemy you've come up against that God has delivered you. And he is going to deliver Jericho into your hands. And I know that. And so I'm going to protect you. I will hide you and then she, let the, she helped them to get out of the city alive. But she said, in, re, reaction, in, in response to that, you've got to save my family when you come into Jericho. And they said, we will. And they kept their promise. Rahab demonstrated her faith in God by being willing put her, to put her own life on the line in order to rescue these two spies in the name of God. And the bottom line is this, our changed life is evidence that we have truly accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. So, there's some of you right now that are listening to me, and what you need to do is recommit your heart to Christ. You've accepted Jesus as your Savior, but you've now got him in some corner or in some closet, and you are not listening to God. And it is time to come back and put him on the throne of your life. And let him be the boss, the Lord of your life. And today you need to recommit your heart to Christ. There are others of you who don't really know Christ. You've been religious. You've been maybe raised in a religious family. Or maybe you've been religious in some ways in your life. But you, you don't really know God. How does a person come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior? Well, you remember what Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says? He says, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the word Lord means boss, you are on the throne of my heart. You call all the shots, you're the boss of my life. And you believe in your heart. See, it's about heart faith for 
the Apostle Paul. You believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. God, I so believe that Jesus has risen from the dead that I commit my heart to you. I commit my life to you. That's heart faith. I commit my life to you. The Bible says if you'll make that decision today, you'll be saved. This morning, would you give your heart to Christ? Would you turn your heart to him? 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 is for every one of us. Everyone that's listening to me, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Today is examination day. Are you really living for him? Do you really know him? Let's pray. Father, I pray right now for all of those that are listening to me and they put Jesus in the closet. They put him in the corner of their life and they're not letting him lead their life. Oh, I'll get back to Jesus someday, they think. But the truth is the damage that will come in between. And I pray, Father, that there will be a recommitment of hearts and souls to Jesus Christ today in the lives of children and teenagers and adults and that that will be heart faith now that's coming out of their life instead of head faith. And Father, I pray for all those that are listening to me that have never accepted Jesus as their Savior, never committed their heart by faith, but today is the day of salvation. And today they are going to make that decision. I am committing my life to Christ. Jesus, you are the boss of my heart, and I so believe that I commit my life to Jesus Christ. Move in hearts today. Bless, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now listen, what I'm going to ask you to do is this. If you want to talk to one of our ministers, I'm recommitting my heart. Maybe I want to join this church. Or you are making the decision today to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. I'm going to ask you to go to the Next Step Center online. You go to the Next Step Center online by going to sugarcreek.net forward slash next step sugarcreek.net forward line next step would you make that decision so what'll happen you go into this room and then you will go to a side room one-on-one -on -one with a minister totally confidential it's just between you and that minister and you talk about what is it that you have come here for we would love to spend time with you and help you and bless you give us the opportunity today in the next step center online now, at the end of every service, we always do this. We always say our purpose statement. So I'm going to ask all of our members and guests, you know this purpose statement. Would you say it with me? Our purpose is to love and lead all people to life change in Christ. God bless you. Have an awesome week. We'll see you back next Sunday.